Thank you for listening to this podcast from Renew San Diego, a church for the good of all our neighbors in North Park, San Diego. If you're ever in the area on Sunday mornings, we'd love to welcome you. More information at renewsandiego.org. Share with a friend. See you soon. Today's reading is from the book of Matthew, chapter 28, verses 1 through 10. After the Sabbath, as the first day of the week was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. Suddenly, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord, descending from heaven, came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing white as snow. For fear of him, the guard shook and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid. I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has been raised, as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, He has been raised from the dead, and indeed he is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him. This is my message for you. So they left the tomb quickly with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly, Jesus met them and said, Greetings! And they came to him, took hold of his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. The word of the Lord. Please take a moment for silent reflection. Let's pray together. Gracious God, as we quiet our hearts and our minds now, give us ears to hear what you would say to us. We come into this very moment with our own agendas, our hopes, our dreams, our goals, the things we want to see happen, and we want it now. The things we want to see change in our lives, in our world, in our political system, in this world that's marked by violence and strife. And we want a way forward. We come to this moment with joy at Mother's Day and with sorrow at Mother's Day. Feeling connected to others and feeling isolated. Feeling joyful and depressed. However we find ourselves right now, help us to see that you know us in all our complexity, all our contradictions, all the ways we get it and the ways we don't get it. And your response is to give yourself to us, to move toward us in sacrificial, self-giving love in the person and work of your son, Jesus Christ. So now we ask that you do perhaps the most difficult miracle of all. Help us to believe and trust that you love us this much. Open our minds to your truth. Open our hearts to your love. Open our lives to your grace. And send us out to be your very hands and feet of renewal wherever we go. Teach us by the power of your Holy Spirit in a way that our lives would be transformed. And this world would be renewed. We pray these things for our good and for your glory. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.
Well, this morning, as I was taking a break for sermon prep, I switched over to New York Times and came across an article in the arts section about this still-life painting that hangs in the Rijksmuseum in Amsterdam called, what is it? Table Setting, Still Life with a Gilt Cup. I'm still learning this painting myself. Still Life with a Gilt Cup by Willem Hedda, painted in 1635. And I think some of you may have seen the article. And the neat thing about this article, it's one of these interactive experiences where you're scrolling through and it takes you to the still life. And still life paintings are interesting because it feels like you can get it in five seconds. They are the most quickly walked by pieces of art in the entire museum. You go, I get it. It's a vase and a thing of grapes and a chalice of wine and an hourglass. Okay, what's next, right? Done. And what's neat about this is you think you got it, but you have no idea how deep it actually goes. And this article in the New York Times today stops and says, notice the reflections of the way that you can't even see the windows in the room, but you can see the reflection in the glass filled with white wine and then on the surface of the white wine itself. Notice the opacity of the lemon, which back then was one of the most difficult things to paint to show off the way that you can master the art of light. Moving on to the subject matter, notice the oysters, which would have been the breakfast of the opulent, which is then... further amplified by the presence of pepper, which even to this day, the Dutch will say when they have sticker shock, it's more than the price of pepper, showing these people were wealthy, and yet the gilt goblet is spilling. Ooh. All that wealth, all that luxury, all that comfort, and it just runs out. And in the middle of the table is a loaf of bread where the artist is inviting you to consider A table like this one, where Jesus invites you to feast on himself. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. I mean, that's deep. That's not even the point of this sermon. I just want you to to realize how brilliant this piece of art is. But here's the point. You think you get it by just looking at it for five seconds, but when someone actually shows you what to focus on and you let it go deep and work on your heart, it actually goes further than you could ever imagine. And I'd make the case with you, the passage we just heard works like that. Because if you've been around church for a while, this is one of those passages we bring out every year about this time. And we read about the empty tomb. Even if you're not a church-going person or a Bible-reading person, you're still probably vaguely familiar with a story like this of crucifixion and resurrection. And then Matthew, the gospel writer, lifts up one piece of the story. And he asks you, what are you afraid of? Because Jesus comes and repetitively says, in his resurrection power, do not be afraid. Are you aware of the ways that fear and anxiety are driving all sorts of behaviors in your life? We live in a time with more technology, more ability to connect, more ability to travel the world, more ability to FaceTime someone in any time zone, and at the same time we feel more alone isolated and lonely than ever. We live in a time of unprecedented wealth where even the lowest socioeconomic indicators still have access to clean drinking water, for example, in our society or government programs. Not to mention if you're middle class or above, you have enough money to have food on the table. We have more resources than ever before and we feel 
like it's never enough. We have the ability to work anywhere now, therefore we work everywhere now. And we're more anxious than ever before. Are you aware of the ways that fear and anxiety are driving your life? And Jesus comes to you and says, do not be afraid. Elsewhere he says, I give you a peace that's not like the peace the world gives. What does it look like to employ that kind of peace in our lives? Let's just consider that in the few minutes we have this morning. The invitation of the resurrection, which is, do not be afraid. The power of the resurrection, why shouldn't we be afraid? And then what it looks like in real life, the results of the resurrection. First, the invitation of the resurrection, do not be afraid. There's this comedic irony going on here where almost everyone is terrified. In verse 4, it says the guards, which would have been Roman centurions trained for battle who have taken other people's lives with their bare hands. It says they were terrified like dead men. You ever seen a scared Navy SEAL? I haven't. This is what it would have looked like. They were like dead men. In verse 5, And verse 8, the women, the two Marys, are afraid. Later, Jesus will say to the disciples, don't be afraid. There's this invitation, which is also a command. Do not be afraid. Did you know that do not be afraid is the command given by God the most in the entire Bible? Some have said that there are 365 occasions, one for every day, though I haven't counted myself. Do not be afraid. Which tells you, number one, to be afraid and experience fear is to be part of the human condition. Welcome to the human story. But it also tells you, you don't have to let that fear drive you. Now, I don't need to tell you that to be afraid of part of what is part of what it means to be a human being, you're living in this world. You already know that. I always go back to this article um, written by Amy Crumpton a few years ago in the New York Times. She says, the Bible says fear not, but I'm scared blankless sometimes. Are you? She says, I haven't counted for myself, but I've heard it said fear not is in the Bible 365 times. They teach, preach, and beseech us not to be afraid. But frankly, I'm scared blankless sometimes. I fear clowns, criticism, crashing my bike, and car wrecks. I fear bridges and bears, big buildings and bull riding. I fear snakes, shark attacks, screwing up, and smothering judgment. I fear jack-in-the-boxes, jerky people, and jet planes, just to name a few. And then in bold, she writes, before 8 a.m. this morning, I was feeling overwhelmed, which is a fancy word for fear. Saying I'm overwhelmed makes me sound busy and sophisticated when what I really want to do is crawl under my covers and hide. Do you know what that's like? The fears are coming at you, like the stars in Star Wars when they go into hyperdrive and they're just all streaming toward you and you're just like, it doesn't even make any sense to attack any of these because they're all attacking me. And to that, Jesus says, do not be afraid. To your fear of finances, to your health concerns, to your fear of being a good parent or being a good child, daughter, or son. Jesus comes and says, do not be afraid. 
How is fear showing up in your life today? Two indicators that our friends in recovery programs give us is one way to think about this is, what is it that you have that you're afraid of losing? And what is it that you're afraid of not getting that you want? What is it that you have you're afraid of losing? What is it that you want that you're afraid of not giving? These are indicators of your fear. And here's the thing. When we regret the past or when we fear the future, the only place that we are not right now is right here. What if Jesus is trying to get in front of you right now and saying, do not be afraid? That's the invitation of the resurrection. Now, what's the power of the resurrection? I mean, why not be dominated by fear? Because let's be frank about it, the world is scary. The Apostle Paul said, if Jesus did not rise from the dead, then let's eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. If the resurrection is not actual, if it's not historical, if it's not real, then self-medicate and take as many vacations as possible while you're just floating on this rock through space. But if he did rise from the dead, it changes everything. If he did rise from the dead, it means you don't have to be dominated by fear. It means there's no such thing as an actual dead end. Illustrated most starkly as his close, Jesus' closest friends are standing there at the cross as the sun refuses to shine on Good Friday, being crucified and bleeding out, and I'm sure they're thinking, it's all over. Of course they are. And what they didn't know that we can see on this side of the resurrection is in that moment of darkness and despair, God was working out the renewal of the whole world. So a Christian can begin to base a real bedrock hope on the resurrection. So it's not this blind faith or just believe or if you had enough faith then it wouldn't bother you right now. Notice he doesn't say these things don't matter because they do. You feel them. Jesus showed us what it's like to weep at the tomb of a friend. You feel it. You, you admit it. And you don't have to be dominated by it. Do not be afraid. Tim Keller, pastor in New York City, says this, The Christian grace of courage is not so much the absence of fear, but the presence of joy. Jesus faced the cross for the joy that was set before him. There is the joy of what Jesus has already done for you. He's slain the only giants who could have really destroyed you. There's also the joy of what Jesus is going to do in the future. All evil in the end is a temporary passing thing. There is light and high beauty forever beyond its reach. Jesus proves it. If you rejoice in that, you will be brave and bold in the face of anything. Grounding your life in resurrection reality and resurrection hope. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was a German theologian and pastor um, during the time of World War II, in the midst of crushing oppression by the Third Reich and by Hitler himself in Nazi Germany, wrote, Faint not nor fear, but go out to the storm and the action, trusting in God whose commandment you faithfully follow. Freedom, exultant, will welcome your spirit with joy. Go out into the storm and action. He's saying this as a prisoner, eventually going to lose his life to Hitler's army. What can give you that sort of buoyancy? What can give you that sort of hope? There's a place in the Gospel of Matthew where Jesus and his friends are in a boat. 
and this storm comes. And it's a storm that's so scary, so big, so powerful that the professional fishermen in the boat are terrified. And Jesus is asleep. Actually, there's a detail. Jesus is asleep with his head on a cushion. Jesus is sound asleep in the middle of a storm. And the first thing his friends say to him, Jesus, don't you care that we're about to drown? Don't you care? I can, I can relate. Jesus, don't you, care? don't you see what's happening in this world? Don't you see what's happening in our society? Don't you see what's happening in our lives? Don't you care? Right? So we instantly go to, he must not care. And Jesus demonstrates his care by calming the storm, showing that he's the master of all creation, and then giving them and us a lesson. Why were you afraid? Have you no faith? See, the opposite of fear, according to Jesus, is not courage. The opposite of fear is trust. He's saying the storms will come. The wind will howl. There will be difficulties. I invite you to trust me that I will never leave you or forsake you through all of this. And you know what the result is? First of all, the result is a realistic view of reality. That this world is both beautiful and broken. It doesn't take away the pain and the confusion and the fear of this moment, but it places it in light of hope. I love how honest scripture is in moments like this, where it's not like Jesus was raised from the dead, and so everybody believed it and trusted it immediately, and all their lives got much better. No, 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 it's way too honest for that. They're meeting Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, and in verse 8 it says, they went with fear and great joy. The picture of life. In fact, the word for great in Greek is mega. They left with fear and mega joy at the same time. It's honest. It doesn't minimize or ignore or sweep under the rug the real concerns of your life and the questions of our lives and the pain, but it shows it in the context of a much bigger story, the true story of the world. He's done something about it. Frederick Buechner once wrote, here is the world. Beautiful and terrible things will happen. Do not be afraid. What a picture of life. And Jesus says, I will go with you. So there's fear and joy wrapped together. It gives you space to account for the complexity of life. You know what else it does? It gives them a new direction. It says in verse 8 that the women ran to tell the others. They had a new direction and a new story. We say this often at Renew Church, that your life tells a story. What's the story that your life is telling? You're invited to tell a story that's bigger than your bank account, bigger than your education, bigger than your self-image, bigger than your resentments. The big story of the world. And it also invites you to this deeper connection. Because in the midst of fear, Jesus doesn't simply say believe, and he doesn't download a bunch of data and information for you. The invitation is come and see. This echoes the invitation of when the first followers met Jesus in John chapter 1. Where are you living? And he doesn't give them an address. He says, come with me. Come and see. And so the Christian life, 
is the invitation not merely to believe all these things, but to actually go on a journey. It's marked by dynamic energy, a process, a journey, walking together. And we're all invited on that journey. And sometimes it's two steps forward, one step back. But it's the journey toward knowing him together. And finally, just to place the ultimate vision before you, the result is the whole world is renewed. Don't miss, in this passage, there is a moment right in history that the entire witnessing community, the entire church, the global church, was a couple of terrified women. That was the whole church. As an aside, you know, I, I understand there are different denominations and traditions that believe in women preaching or not preaching or whatever. Um, this passage basically tells you these women saw the resurrection, went home and preached to everybody that they saw the raised Jesus Christ and everyone believed them. Uh, so you have actually the first preachers in the church were women. It's just right there. Hoorah. But look how fast it fans out. Because you have these two terrified women that are going to go to the disciples and 50 days later on Pentecost, you're going to see thousands of people coming to faith and then the Lord's going to add daily to the number those who are being saved and a few hundred years later, the entire Roman Empire is going to be marked as Christian. And I understand, that's with a big asterisk and a lot of caveats. But think about the influence, the impact, and the renewal that radiated outward from this moment. And now, 2,000 years later, across the entire world, in a language that had hardly been invented yet, we are hearing about the resurrection today because Jesus changed two terrified women's lives and the world's renewed. And here in North Park, people without housing have housing. And people who are enemies with each other have begun conversations of friendship and rebuilding trust. And people who don't know the love of God in their lives know the love of God in their lives. And people who are living self-centered lives are pouring ourselves out on behalf of others. And as that happens, the world is transformed. And so Jesus comes to you now and to me and says, do not be afraid because I've conquered even death itself. And my resurrection power is present to you and you will experience it in the life of the community. But the world will see it when you go out and reflect it. May we answer that call. And as we do, the world will never be the same. But also, our lives will be transformed. Let's pray together. Gracious God, we pray now that you would fill us with your resurrection power. You'd infuse us with your spirit. You'd give us the honesty to look at our lives and see how fear is driving. Our behaviors, our lack of action, our apathy. Help us to be honest about that and then invite you into the very places that we fear. Help us to be people who reflect your resurrection presence in the most tender, hurting places of our families, of our neighborhood, our city, of our world. We pray these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.